Does it sound like Hannah's excited or what? <laughs> this story of Hannah, the Bible does this often. We, we read a very personal, intimate story that has very particular circumstances. But in this particularity, it's making very broad claims about how God works, for whom, and why. Today's story about Hannah and the birth of Samuel is a salvation story. That's why Hannah is making such a big deal out of it. I mean, just line after line after line about how great the Lord is. New life comes from nothingness. Hope is born from hopelessness. The noise and the chaos and the pain that comes with desperation is transformed into thanks and praise. The source of all this goodness? God. Always and forever God. These books in the Old Testament, 1 and 2 Samuel, they're written to tell the story of a time in Israel's history when great changes are happening. And believe it or not, when change happens, people feel anxious. Israel had been for generations after they finally got out of the wilderness, a very modest, loose confederation of tribes, 12 tribes, who mostly live in the hill country. If we went back and read Joshua and Judges, we'd see how the land was assigned to this tribe, and then this land to that tribe, and those hills got to go to that tribe. And no one really complained much about not getting the best lands because they were just happy to have anything. But eventually, remaining up in the hills, while they could see the prosperity that happens in the larger towns in the valleys, they were ready for more. But those towns in the valleys, that's where the Gentiles lived, the non-Jews. Goliath and the Philistines are down there. There's people like that, lots of people like that. The tribes of Israel believed the only way to defeat these enemies in those towns was if Israel somehow united under a king. But where was a king going to come from? As I said, the tribes of Israel, they're kind of they're kind of backward hill people and they know it? How are, the, how are they going to rise up and grow into the promise God made Abraham when God told him, through you I'm going to bless the whole world? Where's that kind of strength and power going to come from? So that's the big picture context of where we are in the Bible. The tribes have come this far by faith, but there is a long way to go. And the way forward is unclear, to say the least. So it's into this large moment that we hear this, well, this one story of one person, a woman, Hannah. And her story is meant to be a sign for all of Israel. Hannah is one of two wives married to Elkanah, who lives in the hill country of Ephraim. The two-wife thing that's a sermon for another day. Bottom line, of course, we Christians are for one spouse per person. But it turns out this Elkanah favors Hannah, which makes sense since the name Hannah means favored or graced. It's a bit mysterious as to why Elkanah favors her because she thus far has had no children, which is the main point of being a wife 3,000 years ago in this part of the world. Again, this narrow purpose, childbearing for an entire gender, 
a sermon for another day. Bottom line, we 21st century Christians see women as broadly gifted with as much to offer to the world as any man does. But 3,000 years ago, there were few other gifts a woman was allowed to give beyond her ability to bear children. And for those who, for whatever reason, could not bear a child, their lives were seen by many as a complete waste. They were seen by many to be useless. Again, aren't we glad to live now? But we need to understand how awful it was to be barren back then in order to understand the depths of this story. Every month, Hannah would be disappointed to learn that her purpose remained unfulfilled. Her husband would be so kind to her. Like the story uh, tells us, uh, this story that I just read from our text today, to his other wife and children, Elkanah would give a portion of the sacrifice he'd made at, at Shiloh, but to Hannah, a double portion is what he gives her because he loved her. But still nothing was happening in the baby department. And just in case she wasn't dwelling on her plight, like she had other stuff to think about, that other wife, Penina, you know what that word means? Fertile. (laughs) Imagine being the second wife who can't have a baby, and when you want to tell wife number one at dinner to pass the potatoes, you have to call her fertile as she tries to wrangle all her kids that she's had with your husband every day, every night, For years, this is Hannah's life. Hannah has to live with this out-of-control reality. She is barren. So what does she do? Does she become embittered? Or maybe turn to magicians? You know, I'm sure there were local healers who had all kinds of ideas about magical spells that women like Hannah should use. Hannah could have turned to all sort of quackery, but... Hannah turns to the one true God. She rose and presented herself to the Lord. She prayed and wept bitterly, and she makes a vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you'll look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. Now this... Nazarite thing, again, we could get sidetracked by that too. There's so many sermons in here. But I'm going to try to stay focused on this this one sermon. Hannah is willing to not keep the gift of a child to herself. She's saying, if only I could fulfill my purpose, O God. Make use of me. She calls herself servant three times in one sentence. Make use of me, but not for my own sake. I wouldn't even try to keep this child for me. I'd give him right back to you for your sake. And after praying and praying and praying and praying, Elkanah knew his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. In due time, she conceived and bore a son, Samuel. Just as we are commanded to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Just as God remembered Noah and all the wild and domestic animals on the ark, just as God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out, just as God remembered his covenant with his people as they suffered as slaves in Egypt, the Lord remembered Hannah, little old Hannah. 
do you ever put yourself, humble little old you, in the story? Like, as an American, do you think of, well, there was George Washington, and there was Abraham Lincoln, and there were the Wright brothers, and Neil Armstrong, and me? Or God created Adam and Eve, and then lived on earth through Jesus, and then baptized me. Do you ever consider yourself, like, really a part of this story? Because that's what Hannah's story is trying to say to all the rest of us, that each of us are a continuation of the Abraham story that went through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and eventually Jesus, and then, for me, Hans Boysen and Reuben Twerberg and Gary Stanton, and then me. As much as Hannah, I'm in this story of God, this God who remembers God's people. Hannah exposes her brokenness, her shame, her pain to God. Of all places that she could share this pain, she shares it with God. Just as the Israelites, they exposed their brokenness, their pain, out from their slavery. Hannah cries out from her barrenness, and here again, God does what God does, and that is God graces her. Hannah's story has roots in Israel's past. She can open herself to God with the the same confidence that God will hear her because God has heard Israel before. But Hannah's story also leans into Israel's future. You may not know where all this is going if you're not familiar with the book of Samuel, but eventually the story of Samuel is going to lead to the glory days of King David. Those hill people, ready to claim a greater place in God's plans, were not expecting their future glory days to be sourced from a barren second wife of an unremarkable guy from Ephraim. As one commentary I read states, the future of Israel is to be a gift of God's grace as surely as Israel's past has been. Over and over again in the books of Samuel, God will find possibilities for new life and hopeful futures in new people and in new circumstances that seem impossible by human standards. Just as Hannah's future is transformed by the birth of this baby boy after the Lord remembers her, followers of God can trust their futures, even through their own bleak times, to a God who remembers us. This Bible is not only the story of God, it's our story. Hannah's experience of God's grace can be our experience of that same amazing grace. We can, in confidence, express our needs before God. We can be persistent. We can be trustful the whole time. And we can always respond to God's grace by not keeping whatever the gift was to ourselves. Now, sometimes the gift we get is not the gift we ask for. That, too, is a different sermon. Tonight I'm proclaiming the good news that God is the source of all goodness, whether it is goodness we ask for or goodness we get. And that God's kind of goodness almost always comes from from unlikely, surprising times and places. God is in the business of bringing new life from nothing. 
hope from hopelessness. God transforms desperation into thanks and praise. We see that in this Hannah story, but I've got my own stories of death followed by surprising new life, of deep pain followed by real healing. As we live through a pandemic, experiencing so much loss, some losses that we all say, oh, you know, they're small, it's no big deal, but they feel like big deals, and some are big deals and feel like big deals. But as we live through this time, fearful of what may or may not be during and after this COVID time, as we live through all the other turmoils we know, we can express all our pain, all our grief, trusting that God remembers us. We can be willing to not keep whatever gifts are indeed given. We can give thanks at all times and in all places. Thanks be to God. Amen.